0: Hello, this is Larry Russ, former keyboardist and vocalist for the classic rock band Iron Butterfly. I'm hanging out rocking with Seattle Wave Radio.
1: Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at NorthwestPrime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. I'm really honored to have my guest, Dr. Jim Dornan, with us today. I I, I can't tell you how remarkable his book, An Everyday Miracle, is, and I really encourage you to spend It's only like $6 to download it on your Kindle, and it's worth every penny. In fact, it's worth so much money, you're going to feel like you owe him money after you read it because it's just chock full of just... Very interesting information, and I read it so quickly that um, it left me wanting more, and I'm so thrilled that he can come on and talk with us today. Let me give you a little background on Dr. Dornan. If, if you don't know, he's the founder and president of Tiny Life Prenatal Charity in Belfast. He is clinically active. He is the current chair for fetal medicine at Queen's University in Belfast and the chair of health and life science at the University of Ulster. He's a husband. He's a father and he's a grandfather. And his first non-medical book, An Everyday Miracle, his voice for women's health and babies and what's going on in the world is, it really needs a follow-up. We're going to talk to Dr. Dornan. I'm going to bring him right on. So thanks, Dr. Dornan, for coming on today. We have so much to cover.
0: Yeah, well, that's great to be here.
1: Well, you are in Seattle tonight, um, kicking off the signing of your book, An Everyday Miracle. You're going to be at third-place Books from 7 to 8. And then do you have other signings or other book appearances that no, you're going to be doing in, while you're in the, in the state?
0: U- no, not in the U.S. I just came over for this and uh, to see your amazing city, I have to say. We'll take it from there.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that you're going to be in demand as, as word continues to get out about this book. Um, When I was reading the book, it was really evident to me that I don't just believe that your life was strung together by a series of random events, um, Mm. but you you have these really intense personal experiences that really were kind of building blocks towards you being this great communicator for so many people, mainly women, who, who really need a voice.
0: Well, I think that's uh, beautifully put, and I accept every word of it. I suppose, uh, as well as being a jobbing OBGYN, as you would call it, I uh, also had an academic side to my life, and I always found that academic messages were best put over with anecdotes. And um, gosh, how privileged it is to be, what a privileged position it is, to be somebody's OBGYN and to have such a personal sharing of uh, Intense situations go you know, as nature does her worst and does her best. So I, you're right. I mean, I have in many ways used stories that I have come across over the 40 years. Uh, to. There's a message, I'd say, in every chapter. It's just a matter of finding what I'm getting at.
1: Oh, ab- absolutely. There's, there's a message in every single chapter. And, and, and we'll start with, with the very first one. Yeah. You, you talk about a friend of yours named Tom, and his mother had passed away, and she had journaled. And there was a wealth of information that you learned in her journals. made me think, because you had a wealth of information that you were sharing, how do you remember all of this? Do you journal?
0: Well, do you know, it's interesting. I do. I'm a, I don't have to say in a very haphazard way, but every time somebody said something, or, or a mum or a woman said something to me that was... Poignant. I would write it down and kept it in a drawer at home. And uh, so then when I did have time to reflect once I retired from my obstetric side of my life, then I thought, well, this is a good time to put it together. But, you know, I mean, for example, I mean, in that journal that she kept, she kept these little diaries every day of her life. The only time she didn't write in her diary the whole time of her life was on the day of uh, Tom's birth. When she wrote, after 24 hours, the last 24 hours have been the worst 24 hours of my life. I have never known such pain. It was worse than my worst understanding. You know? So that, that, that actually did impact on, on myself and, uh, and impacted on the other seven people around the dinner table that we were at sitting at when we read that. Um, so it's just incredible what uh, birthing experiences and gynecological experiences, how they can have an impact that lasts a lifetime.
1: Well, all of these little events along in your life really kind of shaped you and, and made you a person that your patients could really identify with, because you had real-life human experiences in, in many, many situations. Um, you, you talk about your first wife, who, uh, Lorna, who passed away from cancer, being adopted. So yes. you had... Um, Sympathy and empathy and compassion for 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 people who were in an adoption situation as well.
0: Well, that's very true, actually. I mean, it's interesting um, for anybody of my age group around the uh, 60s. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying I was a serial philanderer, but in, in my teens, I think I went out with six different adopted girls. You know, I mean, that was just a very common. Finding that there were a lot of girls for uh, a lot of people who were adopted, one came across that constantly at school and uh, in your social life, and, and we all knew the reasons behind it because the um, a child outside wedlock was seen as a terrible thing, and society did put a lot of pressures on young women and uh, to to give their babies for adoption, which may have suited but often didn't and so yes uh, my my sister was adopted, and uh, one of my sisters was adopted and my wife was adopted
1: did did your wife ever um look for her birth parents what, what was that she something did that she
0: did very l- very very late on in her life she did uh, we always knew the doctor who had delivered her, and he helped her at the just 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 shortly before her sad demise at the age of 50, and uh, we did, and that was a wonderful experience, and uh, she has a sister, she did keep in contact with her,
2: Wow! I mean, I don't think that
0: that all these things, I mean, I've got a lot of experience of this sort of thing over the years, and it's very personal, and it's Mm two-sided, and it's not always a good thing to do, it doesn't mean that you should necessarily try to track down your birth um birthing mother i mean she was incredibly close to her mother and who Mm -hmm. was the woman who reared her so i uh, you know i don't think it's always a good thing but in this case it was good
1: Mm -hmm. when you talk about in in your book adoption being more prevalent back in that age and it's harder to adopt today
0: yes Yes, it is difficult to adopt today. There's some, well, understandably, I mean, for all the social issues, that uh, the same stigma doesn't apply to being a uh, child born outside wedlock. And, uh, in fact, um, it's, uh, you know, it's just not an issue anymore in, in many cultures.
2: And, yeah. I, and I suppose
0: in many ways, Laurie, you know, what has happened is that every, uh, generation finds a problem, it finds a solution to its problem. So at the time, the childlessness, uh, solution was adoption. So it was at that time, certainly in the developed world, it was a supply and demand, uh, almost. And now we've moved on to, uh, assisted reproduction. And that, if you like, solves a lot of the problems that, of, of childlessness for those who feel that they must, uh, have a child, and also the loss of stigma, so just the situation has changed over the years.
1: Well, and, and, and you and, and your current wife, now that you've been married to for many years, are really in the forefront of assisting women who have infertility issues, have been coming to, to you guys, and, and there's yeah. a lot of hope for, for people that maybe that there hadn't, wouldn't have been you know, back in the day.
0: Well, there's no doubt about that. There is a lot of hope, but I think it's always good to keep your feet on the ground. I I can't say I agree with everything the Pope has ever said or any Pope has ever said, but I do remember one of the encyclicals many years ago said that uh, parents should occasionally accept childlessness. So not only should they accept it, but we actually find that a lot of uh, young uh, couples nowadays seek it, childlessness, believe it or not. I think I read somewhere that 30% of European Couples are actually not planning to have children, so it's a it's an ever changing situation that we live in.
1: Well, and again, and, and you mentioned this a little bit in your book that you and your first wife had struggled with some infertility issues yes. in, in the beginning. So again, that gives another sensitivity that you bring to the table of understanding.
0: Yep, yep, absolutely. I uh, I certainly. I can can remember when we had our being investigated, uh, which was fairly basic all those years ago. But I remember almost hoping that it would be my problem because I felt I could cope with it um, and I could uh, get my head around it, as we would say. Um, But in fact, it turned out that we suddenly... And it's a very interesting statistic that actually uh, with couples who have no obvious problem, if they absolutely do nothing, 90% will get pregnant within eight years. Uh, you know, the statistics show that as long as you start early enough. Um, so unexplained infertility is usually means that the baby isn't arriving just at the moment you wanted it. And it's, uh, in the previous generations when there wasn't assisted reproduction and people had to wait, it is incredible how many people... Just conceived, just when they when they weren't thinking about it and they weren't trying too hard.
1: Well, and, and you talk about that in the book, you know, the birth of your first daughter and those. Actually, that that was the first time in your book, um, and, and it's really early into the book too. We can talk about that, but um, that I actually teared up because you could really feel your love leaping off the pages when you were mm. talking about looking at your. 10-day-old baby daughter in yep, the pot yep. and I could really... I mean, still, right now, it really gives me goosebumps. I, I, I yeah, could really you mean,
0: you're, feel you're that. right. Anyway, no, I have two <laughs> girls, uh, two girls, and um, first was a girl, and the second was a girl, and then I had a boy, who, and he has become an actor.
1: I, he has... I've, I've heard mention of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. he's doing okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: he, he is doing okay. Okay. What... Was there any other people in your family who went into the arts? Because we're talking about Jamie, Jamie Dornan, and yep. he was a musician, his model, and now he's an actor. And w- was there any other people in the arts in your family?
0: Well, there'd be two. There'd be two. I mean, Jamie, uh, my mother's second cousin was Greer Garson, and uh, so, the, and that was uh, sort of uh, always known in the family. And my sister really should have been a professional actress, but. In those days, my parents didn't sort of encourage it too much. So she was a physiotherapist, but she's a huge amateur dramatist, and she, um, I think, nearly every year her plays get into the finals of local competitions in the UK and Ireland. And she um, just is a star as an actress as well. Her name is Carol Carol Stewart. And uh, so with and all nearly all the members of the family do amateur drama. Amateur drama is big in Ireland.
1: Well,
0: why do you think that is? Uh, well, maybe that was what you do in a wet, on a wet winter's <laughs> night in Ireland <laughs> or a wet summer's <laughs> night in Ireland. And uh, maybe that's what happened. But, I mean, Ireland, is, uh, Ireland and the arts are, uh, are linked, aren't they, pretty strongly. And uh, mm-hmm. so if, we, if we can't play an instrument and we can't sing, we can at least act. <laughs>
1: that's right. How is your family coping with Jamie's fame?
0: Well, I think that I mean we uh, are just very uh, the same way as he is, which is in a very grounded manner. Jamie's a very grounded young man, and uh, certainly nothing goes to his head, and uh, so we just uh, just cope with it in that way. Um, it's interesting. A lot of people love having a little bit of your life, but he's a private man, understandably, and uh, so yeah. I mean, it's. I think I think we en- we enjoy people thinking he's done a good job. Well, the first
1: time, I, I actually knew about you before I knew about Jamie, so I'm kind of in the minority on that. Um, but the first time, of course, I've seen his picture a thousand times a day on my Twitter feed from all of his fans, and I've probably seen, I think, every picture of Jamie Dornan that's ever existed. But I'll tell you, <laughs> when I really got to really see and know him was on the Graham Norton show. Did you watch right, that yes.
0: show? Yes, I did. It was good.
1: That was really funny.
0: Yeah, and he came over a very confident and uh, happy young man, didn't he?
1: He really did. He really did. What do his sisters think? Because he has two older sisters, and I'm sure that they're probably protective of him.
0: Well, they are, but in fact, I could. I mean, I think it's almost fair to say that it's nearly the other way around. He's, he's a he's a great brother, and uh, they look up to him. They all we have, we're a very tight family, and uh, they all look to each other. And I think when you have lost uh, their mum when they did lose, you know, in their late teens, um, it does bind them very closely together, and that uh, that bond will be there forever. So yeah, they're proud of him, and they love him.
1: What is it like as a father to watch your children become parents?
0: Well, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, um, in other words, I actually find the whole thing certainly uh you know seamless I mean with the grandchildren, I just feel as if they're almost my children I mean I have such a great love of babies and and everything associated with them that uh I mean, there's no doubt. The, the best thing about grandchildren, of course, is that you can hand them back. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> well, it's not the best thing, but it's one of the things. But uh, no, they—it's uh, it's wonderful watching them and how they relate to them, and and they're they're going through the same learning curves as we did. Um, you know, learning how to deal with them, how, how to soothe them, and how to cope with all their problems. And you do have to f- watch that you don't give constant advice on what to do in every situation. <laughs> that's well, tempting. Well,
1: I, 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 I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, if they were going to get an advice, you're really the best person, <laughs> almost on the planet, to give that advice. Um, well, that's a, for the, for the first
0: you? few days of life, I would expect that, <laughs> but maybe not after that.
1: <laughs> well, were, were you in the delivery room with, with any of your children? no. Being no, an no, obstetrician? No.
0: No. no, 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 definitely not. And I wouldn't have wanted to have been a... I was even for the birth of my first. I was actually put out of the room, even though I was a, a, an obstetrician by that stage. But the, really? the guy who delivered her, he asked me... See, he, in those days, we didn't have epidurals and uh, that sort of thing. And in fact, um, so it was... Uh, in those days, when there was an assisted delivery, then sometimes you were asked to leave the room.
1: Okay, let's take a quick break. I'm going to let you listen to Kaz Hawkins from Belfast. There's a lot of great things going on in Belfast right now. And one of them is Kaz Hawkins along with the Dornans and Jennifer Troughton and, and, and so Andy McCarroll, so many great things. So this is Better Days by Kaz Hawkins, and I'll be right back with Dr. Dornan.
2: Right come to help you grow. Brighter
1: friends we have a brand new sponsor audible.com you can go to audible.com northwest prime and sign up for a free download and choose from thousands and thousands of best-selling and new release books you can also exchange a book anytime no questions asked we all lead busy lives but we can download this free audible.com app to our Android. Our iPhone, iPad, Windows, Kindle Fire, you name it. It's easy to take with you on the go, whether you're working out, in the car, cooking at home, on the way to visit a friend, however you want. You can stay up to date with the greatest books in the world through this wonderful library. I recently chose Crusher by Niall Leonard. This mystery crime drama was filled with action. It was like I was watching a movie. The narrator spoke in an English accent and I just felt like I was right there in London town. If you choose to stay with Audible, it's only $14.95 a month and you can cancel at any time. At least check it out. It's free. See if it's for you. Tell them Northwest Prime sent you. That's audible.com slash Prime, and get to reading when it works for you. All right. I am back with Dr. Jim Dornan, and we, we established our connection. You were able to at least listen to some great music by Kaz Hawkins out of Belfast, um, which is kind of the the theme of our show. So thank you, Dr. Dornan, for hanging in there while we established all of these these connections. So um, we we were talking about um, fathers and when they were able to come into the room and be part of this experience.
0: Yes, I've actually, interestingly, I've just written a blog on that on my Facebook page and it has started uh, generated quite a little bit of heat. Because, um, you know, it is an interesting one. In my working lifetime, we have gone through where the uh, partner, the husband, really wasn't ever in the labor ward except to leave the the woman in in labor and then would disappear. And uh, then we went through a long phase of almost the... Uh, partner has been forced to come in, and uh, maybe we're going backwards now to uh, <laughs> maybe more choice again. But uh, I mean, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey for all concerned. I don't think by any means all fathers should be present, and it, it's tough for those who are caring. It's tough for the nurses, midwives, and the uh, obstetricians because you're, you're suddenly instead of one patient, you have got three. You know, you've got the mother, the baby, and the the partner. And it can interfere when it comes to decision-making about um, you know, delay in labor and everything, which is might have been acceptable to the mother and maybe the partner has been there so long that he too is getting fed up and it, it creates an air of uh, something needs to be done in the labor ward and that's not always the right thing to do when it comes to uh, labor. Sometimes you have to let nature take its course and that can be slow and steady.
1: Well, you've seen it both ways um having been in the room yep. w- with your second daughter then and, and not having been with
0: with your first
1: is, yep. is it different being
0: a, a no I think it's a wonderful i i think it's a wonderful moment and it is it's very different being a doctor very different I certainly felt i i remember watching my wife having her contractions the first time around. I actually thought I was going to be physically sick and uh and yet I had just spent the night before delivering babies myself, but it's fascinating when you're really when it's when it's your your wife and your your woman and your baby you know it's just different and that's that's good and that's good. I've heard of the occasional obstetrician uh, assisting other people doing cesareans on their wives and things like that that would not be for me
1: yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I guess it's, you know, teach your their own and uh, kind
2: of
0: a, a slippery slope, but, yes. um, yeah. I remember I remember on that one, Laurie, I remember when I was working and training, I worked in Canada and Kingston, and a great, you know, there at Queen's University in Kingston, and I remember one of the casualty uh, consultants telling me he had been down at the waterside in Lake Ontario and his child had fallen and cut his knee, And he just couldn't make up his mind whether it needed sutured or not. So he actually had to bring the child up to the uh, emergency department and let his colleague make the decision as to whether it needed sutured. So it's very hard to be dispassionate about your own.
2: (laughs)
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you are a huge, wonderful voice for women. And I I don't think it's by accident you yourself were delivered by a woman Physician in a time. There weren't very many women
0: physicians. That's right back in uh, 1948 and uh, She was a wonderful woman. She actually her father wouldn't um, Let her do medicine didn't encourage her, but she did uh, languages at University in Ireland and then made enough money Translating documents at night to raise enough money to put herself through medicine Uh, as well as that she became Irish tennis champion and went on and had a family with three kids and um, she was an incredible person. I only actually found all that out later on when her daughter came to see me um, uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a patient, and uh, she told me all about it. So it was uh, fascinating. I think, I think to be honest with you, about we're all on a journey. Um, I'm sure I was as chauvinistic as everybody else forty years ago at that time, but maybe about fifteen years ago, I got involved in international women's health. Issues uh, through the Royal College uh, in London, where I was vice president and in charge of the global health department, and uh, we worked very closely with the American College and the Canadian colleges, etc. And um, and uh, you know you have got to go to see the world and see the place that women are at in the world, and women aren't really in a very good place. Um, Well, we have fooled a lot of them in the developed world to make them feel that they are um, fully empowered, but even there, I don't think we are have fully empowered them. And um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the Millennium Goals, Mm -hmm. and uh, a Millennium Goal four and five is the lowering of maternal and neonatal mortality, and that's very laudable and uh, it's exactly right. We should be doing that. But I am absolutely positive that if you want to lower mortality, which of course we all would, then Millennium Goal 3 is the answer, and that is the empowerment and education of women. And it's just incredible the place that some women are at in the world. For example, there are many places in the world where a woman can't even, she could be the richest woman in the world, and she can't have a cesarean section to save her life, uh, because she has to have the permission of her husband uh, before she can do that. And uh, many um, poor people throughout the world, men will make a decision that it's actually better to let, uh, be more economically uh, sound to let the woman die in labor and get a new wife rather than to uh, do a again. And it's a hard one, when I first heard that, I think that went through my heart like a knife. Um, It's an incredible statement, but sadly it's not a unique statement.
1: Well, and, and you address a lot of that in your book that was absolutely, you know, and you and I talked a little bit about this off air, but yep. I don't know if I was just naive or out of touch, but I really felt like infant mortality had was really almost non-existent, but, but you talk about 50% of women don't even, they're birthing outside of the units. That's
2: and 50% right.
1: of them have no skilled attendant with them, and 95% right. of the deaths occur in right. people who have, women who have babies outside of a birthing unit, a staggering. That's right. It about. is staggering,
0: sta- staggering statistics. And uh, women are very devoid of uh, a lot of human, uh, a lot of sexual and a lot of reproductive rights. And, um, and there is no doubt that the, um, if, we, if that was stressed, I mean really addressed, that women had full sexual reproductive and human rights. Then I think you know. I think everybody would benefit. Men would benefit. They would, uh, as well as society and everything else. I don't think men should be frightened of of women. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> there are
0: times times when we are, but uh, you know what I'm getting at. You know what I'm getting at.
1: Well. He- well, like you're saying, you know, it, it reflects a place in society um, in yep. some
0: cultures
1: that women, they see as replaceable, and the men are valued. However, you need a woman to actually produce a man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, but, but the only thing is, the sad part is that that's all that she is often seen for, uh, is that is as a chattel and as a carrier of babies and uh, that is, um, I mean I'm glad to say that some people are beginning to put, a, I, know, I know it's awful they have to do this, but people are beginning to put an economic value. For example, if a mother died and, uh, in, 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 in the developing world, if a mother dies and children are young and are, are left to be brought up, there's a 50% chance that those children will die through neglect um, because uh, the family will always look after their own before they look after the um, orphans. So, I mean, apart from anything else, when a mother dies, that means that other people are dying as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I want the world overpopulated. I don't. I think if, you, if, if women were fully empowered and educated and had full reproductive rights, they wouldn't want to overpopulate the world. I think they would be trying to give the children that they had the best chance and uh, you can't always do that
2: by right.
0: numbers.
1: Well, you talk about how still in two thousand fourteen, um, a mother is dying every minute of every day,
0: um Yep, somewhere.
1: Somewhere in childbirth. Yeah and that yep. And this will absolutely blow people's mind. I mean, get ready on this, that three jumbo jets full of women die every day in Africa alone from bleeding after childbirth.
0: That's right. It's hard to believe. I'm afraid nature um, is, a, is a wonderful, wonderful person, but is the, uh, really the only female who has ultimate choice is nature. And um, so we're, we're not great um, Reproducers, in a way, are um, not as good as as other um, areas, but it's uh, it's it's a tough one. But it's uh, and it's so simple to to you know just one train uh, one trained birth attendant at the bedside, and those things wouldn't have to happen.
1: Well, you know, you, you touched on the Millennium Development Goals that 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 the, the goal was to reach some of these things by 2015. I, I'm not sure that we're going to hit that mark. Um, no. Some
0: some countries will. Some countries have moved, um, and there there is no doubt that the politicians will um, will be very delighted that a a lot of countries have done great things. But uh, I always feel that you know that, and it is very important. And we, as a college, work with people like your American College, and as I say, other colleges around the world, and provide faculty and provide courses to teach to upskill. Uh, teachers and nurses and uh, rural doctors as to how to actually deal with the problems of childbirth because it's not rocket science. It's all very uh, simple in a way. Um, That is the tragedy of it. It's not like treating cancer. It's uh, just putting practical um, uh, therapies into action, you know. So, I mean, my book isn't all about that, but my book does let women and men know what women go through to produce the little miracles that they produce. And um, so the, I hope that the stories are warm but also informative.
1: And and they really are. You're really a, a fantastic storyteller, and, and you have all of these great experiences, and every chapter is a different story. And, and in there, you kind of weave in some... Very valuable information that that I didn't yes. even know. But I, I didn't feel like I was being preached to or yeah. or, or, the, or driving something home. It, it was just part of of the story. And a lot of the story was on um, premature birth. You you talked a lot about that. There's a another time I cried in the book was when you talked mm-hmm. about uh, is it, um, is it pronounced Macy who was born at twenty
0: three yeah, weeks. Yeah, Macy.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes, I
0: put her picture up actually this morning on my Facebook page uh, her picture as she is now in her eighties and uh, an amazing woman yeah um and that's uh, no, a lovely story that is an incredible story obviously i I didn't deliver her, but um she told me her whole story being born you know it as you say in nineteen uh, twenty nine at twenty three weeks when her father fed her through his uh, um uh, milk put into his new Parker pen and dropped it into her mouth as she lay in her shoebox covered in olive oil and uh, incredibly she survived. But I think the best part of the story I love about that one is that after Christmas and the New Year when she still had defied all the odds and wasn't dying, her father went to the local practitioner uh, GP, our general practitioner, and asked him what he should do now. (laughs) And he said, uh, he made it up. He said, well, look, get some liver and get uh, an outspan orange and get five spoonfuls or a spoonful of five-star brandy and mix them all together and drop that into her mouth. And uh, so she was fed on that for a few months. And uh, and the woman actually ended up as a genius in the... In the, uh, to cut a long story short, in the uh, mental arithmetic examinations in the whole of the United Kingdom, she was third. (laughs)
2: Oh and this is God. when
0: she was born weighing less than a pound so it's right. amazing 23 story.
1: weeks Well, yep. that should definitely give people so much hope, hope. and and, yep. and I think you said that you talk about that through your um, foundation that you started tiny life yep. charity which yep. um the, the, the goals have kind of changed over the years as, as the survivability rate for premium yes. has increased
0: that's right and I think one of the problems now is when I started uh, you had to be five and a half pounds before you left hospital and were taken home, but very quickly realised that with these premies we're doing so well that um, hey, they would be spending you know, first maybe four months in the hospital if you waited to that. So, so a lot of parents are given very premature babies to take home with them, and they aren't always prepared for what uh, the problems that that can bring. So our charity now, although we still are involved in trying to do research and help uh, in that whole area. But a lot of it is giving support to parents of preemie babies in the following months. And uh, if you like, we're now moving on to the next phase, which is to make sure those children not only have a good start, but actually we can accelerate their um, early um, development after birth so that they really can join the race as an equal competitor. Well,
1: and this has been such a... I, it, it seems just a, a a big benefit to the to, to to Belfast in particular that this was really needed, and it this charity has really it's become a community
0: and I think that's a very good good description yeah that's right mean um, you know it's a very It's, it's funny uh, having worked in the whole area of um, of this for all your life because when I started, I suppose everybody was just trying to save the mother and mothers were sort of uh, dying in the numbers that they do in the developing world. Uh, they would've been divide, uh, dying and, and living the same in the US. And then, so when I started, we sort of almost had solved that problem because mothers were all delivered in the right US and they had antibiotics and they had blood transfusions, et cetera, et cetera. So then we could concentrate on the babies. And babies die for three very simple reasons. They're born too early, they're born too late, Or they're born with medical uh, problems that make them that they can't survive. And uh, there's in each area we are doing quite well. We're probably not doing well enough in the ones that are born too late. In other words, the baby dies before it's born. And we that is a huge area. And it's if you like for us in the developed world. That is the next big challenge to to reduce that number. About one in every two hundred babies is stillborn, and it's just a downright tragedy. And I think that is our hugely our next um, uh, our our next challenge.
1: Well, I I wanted to ask you though, what what are the goals going forward?
0: Well, I think that is a goal, and I Mm -hmm. think uh, the goal is to maximise outcome for. for uh, for those that are born with problems so they, uh, in, in life's race, so they are equal contestants. And I think, I mean, we will con- continue to um, try to meet halfway everybody who has a view about how you're born. And as you know, it's a very emotive subject. Um, in my lifetime, I have seen, you know, the cesarean section rates going up, but we didn't all get together in a, in a room somewhere 30 years ago and say, let's put the caesarean section rate right up. You know, this is just has happened um, in the in, in developed world and it uh, mostly is good and occasionally it's out of uh, control. But uh, I think that's an area that will be... We, I, th- I personally also feel that we need to give women more information. I think a lot of women, I think there are groups of women where we do too many caesareans and there's groups of women where we do too few. And I think a lot of people are embarking on labor and they aren't necessarily being um, given all the correct information as to what lies ahead. I think we could tell them more if we look at the, if we profile each mother who's going through labor, profile their baby and that's everything else. I think we could be more helpful. In reassuring those who are frightened of labour that it's some to have a problem, and maybe even occasionally have to warn some women that um, the chances of a successful, damage-free labour are um, not so high. So uh, those are the areas that I think we we have for the future. Well, I'll
1: tell you, an everyday miracle is such a wonderful book. And, and when I say I laugh, I cried. I didn't cry out of pain. It was just very touching, like when I was talking about, you know, connecting with you. You made it so easy to connect with you looking at your your first child born, and, you know, and, and, and I could feel what you were going through. And so it, it was coming from those places, and each chapter is a different story. And some of them are just hilarious. And I'm not going to give anything away because I want people to buy the book, but I will tell you that that one story about the dentist, um, oh, it, yes.
2: uh, was hysterical. I did not see
1: that coming at all that was so funny and there was so many you really have a great sense of humor I, 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 I could see where Jamie got it from, um, from the show because that was just hilarious and, um, I'm going to venture out to say to, to guess that you didn't read Fifty Shades of Grey right
0: uh, well, I have to say uh, I have read it. <laughs> I've read the first have book.
1: You've you yeah, read, oh, you read, read the first, first one. Well, you have to yeah. read the next two because it's all yes. one story. I know but, they
0: are. I just am a busy boy.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you though, that, and how this relates to your book, because you have a story about Teddy, and um, all the Fifty Shaders, I'm sure now are taking a big, uh, deep breath here, but you have a story about Teddy who taught you the art of obstetrics. Yes, and um, I, I, I'm sure people know that Anna and Christian go off to, and they get married and they have children and you know, live happily ever after. Their first child's name is Teddy.
0: Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Well, he, he was a, he was a great man. Actually, my I think that's a good. Do you like that story? I like that story. I, I really think.
1: like that story. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah I think he, it's he, good. he was.
1: Was, There's was so many of them. I mean, you talk about the Pope John Paul story and the Daisy yeah. in the hospital and Nuri uh, yeah. and Angela and I, I connected with with her and I connected with Emma and I and, and Roberta and Rhonda and all, all of these women. You know that, um, that that you you told each one of their stories and you were so sensitive and so caring and and like I said, you were just a wonderful wonderful voice and and that's why I couldn't put it down was because. Each chapter, that story ended and you told a new story. And I just wanted to keep hearing all of these stories and they were so uplifting. And I really hope that you write more books because y- y- you write in a way that, that people can relate to and identify with and connect on a humanitarian level.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Laurie. I mean, I do... I do um I do, I will write another book. I would love to write another book if, I, if, uh, if I'm if i scared, and uh, that would be my intention. I do love communicating. I do love connecting. I always believe that the greatest way to deal with fear is to have knowledge, and if that knowledge can be imparted in a non-patronizing way, then all the better. And uh, so, because um, knowledge is power, and uh and if a woman is going through anything in life, be—I mean, be it a gynecological situation, or life itself, or obstetric maternity—then the more you know about it, and the more you the less you will be frightened of it, less you yeah. concern you have.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's, the book is called An Everyday Miracle, and. It's 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 a miracle when when you get to read this book. It's right now on on Kindle, it's six dollars. I mean, that's you get a whole book for six (laughs) dollars. It's absolutely
0: incredible. I know. And you're right. Hopefully, you'd have made it (laughs) sixty.
1: If I had anything to do with it. (laughs) Well, we really welcome you to Seattle. It's, it's turning you. out to, to, to be a good day here. I hope that you get to get Beautiful. out and, and enjoy a little bit. We want you to come back when you can spend more time. I know that you're out of here tomorrow, but we really want you to come back. I, I, I know that your, your life and um, with your children and and, um, and your grandchildren is very busy, and uh, Jamie's life is, is, has gotten very busy. <laughs> but we really hope that, that you can come back to Seattle and, and spend more time with us.
0: Well, thank you very much indeed, Laurie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Really well, it's has, been
1: a, and, and thank you for connecting on Twitter. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm <laughs> you've so got
0: me going. You. You've got me going there. <laughs> 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 yeah, at JCD. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> you're well, great. you're off
1: and running now. And, and I so am. I'll have to that, keep it up. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. I think you've made a lot of fans.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, listen, thank you very much indeed.
2: Thank you, Dr. Dornan.
1: Okay. okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, you can tell. Oh well, man, thanks for hanging in there with us as we we did lose a little bit of communication as the cell phone died and we had to reestablish the uh, the international connection. But an absolutely fantastic guy, Dr. Jim Dornan, and I I, I can't encourage you enough to. Get the latte one day and and purchase this book, An Everyday Miracle. It is absolutely uplifting. Um, Just find a quiet place and treat yourself to an amazing journey through women's health and babies and celebrating other women and celebrating this fantastic man who has the sensitivity and the insight to be a wonderful, wonderful voice for many, many women around the world. So we're going to go out today with another Kaz Hawkins song. We're celebrating everything Belfast today. You can find Kaz. She's also on Twitter, Kaz Hawkins, and she has a fantastic voice. A lot of great things going on in Belfast. We're going to play right now, Uh, let's play Because You Love Me by Kaz Hawkins. Thanks for joining us.
2: Your strength, your pride, you held the door as life passed you by Life just passed you by Now I can tell you wanna go Don't think of me cause I can't go You gotta take the highs with the lows okay it's fine to you lift your head take it all in your stride remember life it's there to teach to learn to grow to find your feet because it's a long Take with you all the things you have Just be yourself and don't be sad
1: our show we would like to thank our listeners our guests and of course our sponsor audible.com we've included an easy one-click link to audible.com where you can just go and browse and check out and see if catching up on your reading is right for you through an audiobook the first book is free doesn't cost anything to check it out so check it out get back with us let us know what you think and be sure to also check out northwestprime.com for this interview and other great interviews that we've had with numerous celebrities and other entertainers in the past. Thanks and have a great day.
0: This is Matthew Meadows, better known to some of you as Rango the dog and you're surfing the seas of mojo with Seattle
2: wave radio. Catch the wave.